We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Miami and Virginia Tech tonight, a crucial game in the Coastal. It's been an evenly played series over the years, but one in which Virginia Tech has been Miami's undoing. How do you see tonight unfolding? I've I've flip-flopped back and forth on this game, and I'll tell you that Friday night I had a premonition and I think that Miami can pull this one off. Because when you look at this game on paper, uh, you know, if you're looking at this game with your head, I do think that there's a lot that favors Virginia Tech. But as Mark Richt has even admitted himself, this football team, which is really just a, a solid football team, uh, is suddenly in a position where it's undefeated going into November. And look, if they can just be able to find a way to take the confidence that they've built during all these close games, I mean, a one-point game, eight-point game, a five-point game in this month of October where, in a lot of ways, the Hurricanes were unimpressive, particularly last week against the North Carolina team that I think that they were probably three touchdowns better than. But if there's something in these close wins that will be able to take a step forward, I think that Miami, as you look at Amon Richards, continues to get better. Uh, You know, Chris Herndon has become a huge threat at the tight end position. And the defense has just been fantastic pretty much all year. So, you know, it's it's a lot to put on Malik Rozier, uh, particularly going up against Josh Jackson, who even though Rozier has much more experience, Josh Jackson might be the better player right now. Uh, so, Rich, I, I'm leaning Miami at the last minute. I think I picked Virginia Tech on CBSSports.com. I'm, I'm just buckled in and ready for a thriller because uh, this, like a lot of other games, is going to be the beginning of a really, really fun rivalry between Fuente and uh, Mark Rick. No question. I think a lot of people feel the same way you do about everything you just said, as a matter of fact. But, you know, the glass half full or half empty for the Hurricanes. Are they playing with fire, or with all these close wins, are they building something special? I think the key here is health. You know, there's a, there's a, a lot of key players on the defensive side and skill positions. Uh, you're not going to get Mark Walton back, but they are becoming a more healthy football team at the right time. Playing with fire. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe this gets exposed here in the two-game stretch with, uh, you know, you get by Virginia Tech. That's great for the ACC. But if we want to talk college football playoff and trying to, you know, even have your name in the national championship conversation, it's got to be able to follow that up with Notre Dame. And I do have a hunch that uh, even if Miami wins here, maybe that Notre Dame opponent the next week might be too much of them. And that's where the playing with fire comes in. But I do think, I really think they're peaking at the right time uh, to be able to be competitive against Virginia Tech, and also if they can get that win, you know, looking down the road to Charlotte in the ACC championship game where you would face either Clemson or NC State. You know, the other thing, too, about Miami right now, they've been in this spot before in terms of having an unbeaten record this late in the season and fighting for respect, and it's really, the, the, you know, the, the floor came out from under them, but there seems to be a much better feeling about this team being set up to be successful, if not this year, certainly in years to come, so that does not happen again. Yeah, and you know some of that is the youth. You know, this mm-hmm. the you just look at the linebacker position. Shaq Quarterman leading that group. True freshmen, uh, pretty much across the board. Now, true sophomores. Uh, they continue to recruit well. They continue to find key players to step up that are underclassmen. So I think that's where that confidence comes from. No question. As we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, you can check out his college football podcast on 24-7 Sports. Also, you can catch him today on SEC Live, all the pre, post, and half of all the games on CBS. You can catch him on CBSSports.com. You look at Virginia Tech. Should they be able to win tonight? You know, where do they stand in the playoff debate? Their only loss is to Clemson. However, some of their wins don't look as glamorous as they once did. Yeah, but they've been taking care of business. And I, I think that particularly when you uh, 
compare Virginia Tech's performance against North Carolina and Duke, it was probably more impressive than Miami. You know, this is ever since they got so high for that Clemson game and then they came crashing down. And I feel like Justin Fuente and the staff have been slowly tuning it up like a, like a good engine. You know, they've, they've got Cam Phillips as a difference maker at wide receiver. Their running back kind of happens by committee, but ultimately we know that the soul of this Virginia Tech program is going to be on the defensive side of the ball with Bud Foster. And that's where I look at Virginia Tech. Uh, the key stat that stands out for me, Virginia Tech is right on par with Alabama in points per drive allowed, as in, you know, you get this many touches in a game. Oftentimes it's, you know, five, six, seven touches, unless you're out there in the Big 12. And the least amount of points per touch that Virginia Tech is allowing right now is on par with Alabama. I believe it's top three in the entire country. And so that's, you know, that's the group that has got to be able to step up and win this game. You know, I was going back and watching old Miami-Virginia Tech games from the Big East days, and and the big hokey wins (laughs) almost always end with a pick six or a block punt return touchdown. And I'm looking for this to be a low-scoring game for sure uh, down in Miami Gardens. And that's where, you know, you got to think that that favors the defense to be able to come up with a game-changing play. I'm still trying to figure out how NC State didn't beat Clemson a year ago. They they wind up losing in overtime. Today, uh, you know, they're at home for the defending national champs. You know, can they pull off that victory today? They're coming off a tough loss to a Notre Dame team that beat them up pretty good physically. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this is uh, – NC State has the best collection of skill position talent that Clemson's defense has faced this year. And I'm including Auburn. I'm including Louisville. I'm going all the way through it. I think that when you combine uh, the big play threat of someone like Jalen Samuels and just the production that you get out of someone like Naheem Hines, throw in Kelvin Harmon, a wide receiver for NC State, who's really taken tremendous steps forward and has made himself a game changer within the ACC. Uh, I, I think NC State absolutely could do it. And Rich, the Wolfpack on a full moon, 13-5-1 in program history. <laughs> That's the key. And also daylight savings time coming up. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's going to be a rowdy environment. They're going to be ready. There's a chance. Like, can NC State do it? Yes. There's a reason why Clemson is more than a touchdown favorite. They, I do think that they are the better team. But in a, in a one-game scenario, NC State has this all in front of them, and I think they know it. They win this. And all of a sudden, you're just one or two wins away from clinching the ACC's Atlantic Division title and being able to get a spot to play for the ACC championship in Charlotte. Uh, ACC championship has not been won by NC State since 1979. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and catch him all day long on SEC Live on CBSSports.com. Speaking of, of skill position players, you know, Boston College has three of them playing key roles, and Steve Adazio has suddenly gone from hot seat to one win away from bowl eligible. You know, how do you see the future in Chestnut Hill? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Steve Adazio said that. He said, I've, I've been in this business before. I know what it looks like before it comes together. It's going to come together, and it's going to be beautiful. And he said that, and then Boston College ran off three straight wins and was rolling up 500-yard games against the likes of uh, Virginia and Louisville. And, uh, you know, when you look at the youth there between Anthony Brown and A.J. Dillon, both freshmen, the, the future looks great. I mean, this, this Boston College team is going to be a very, very difficult out for the next three years. I don't know if uh, Adazio is going to be able to get this to a point 
where they are, you know, at any point the front runner uh, when you're especially in the same division as the Clemson Tigers. But I, I do think that they are going to be a very difficult out that we should consider uh, definitely part of the ACC picture and the postseason picture for years to come. Virginia had been playing well, but they ran into the juggernaut that is Boston College and then did not get look, look good at Pittsburgh last week. What has suddenly happened to the Cavaliers? I kind of think that they got figured out. I, I need to spend some more time uh, really breaking down this, the tape on Virginia's offense, but my, my gut tells me from what I've been able to see that uh, that Kurt Benkert and the offensive attack that was really, you know, go back to the Boise State game and a few others where they were really rolling I, I kind of think that they they might have have started to to get to get enough out there where opposing defensive coordinators figured out a way to stop them, and now the challenge is on that offensive staff to start to figure out a counterpunch because Virginia's defense has still been pretty solid. You know they've they've done a good job, but the offense just isn't really giving them anything. And my gut tells me uh, that Kurt Benkert, a very good quarterback, and that offensive attack, you know, has some some talented players, but I think the defensive coordinators have started to figure out a game plan to slow them down. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Also check out his 24-7 sports college football podcast. UCLA got trounced by Utah last night, and the Bruins have a number potential number one pick overall in Josh Rosen. Has Jim Mora done him and his team a disservice by not putting a suitable line in front of him the last two years? I mean, he is, he is taking a lot of hard hits. I don't blame Jim Mora. I think that UCLA just hasn't been a, a great football team with Josh Rosen there. Uh, you know, he came in as a freshman, and they still had some of the leftover pieces from teams that were competing uh, for the top position in the Pac-12 South. But across the board, the talent level has just not been there. There are individual players. Uh, you know, think about last year, Tax McKinley. You know, the, who have emerged as superstars. But this, in general, the the UCLA team uh, is has just not been has not been very competitive. So I I don't blame Jim Mora specifically. Uh, certainly, recruiting is a big part of his job. But um, in this case, I think that Josh Rosen is a uniquely talented player who has all of the skills to have a very successful. Um, NFL career, but like Jared Goff a year ago, he's playing in the Pac-12 with a team that's just not very competitive. You know, but in years past when they did have big-name players, especially on defense, and they had some big injuries, uh, so take that into account, but UCLA, for all the talent that's gone through Westwood in the last couple of years, didn't, don't you expect to see more of, of what US, UCLA has done? Or Maybe I, I don't. I I, I got to tell you, Rich. I'm, my my confidence level in UCLA is pretty low right now. They had the window with U, USC being down. Yeah. With USC losing about two, three, four games per year, and you know that even even though uh, USC has had a, a struggle this season, certainly. But I, I just think in terms of the big picture pecking order in the Pac-12 South, uh, that time has come and gone, and to expect. UCLA to be competing for Pac-12 South titles right now, like unless unless a big change is coming, and uh, you know maybe it is, but my gut tells me that even though uh, fans might be frustrated, even though the performances have been a little bit lackluster, that I would not be surprised if Jim Mora is back coaching the Bruins in 2018, and again we are looking at a UCLA team that uh, you know while competitive and while uh, a lot of fun in certain spots. 
is not going to be in the mix for the Pac-12 title. You know, that's a big whiff, though, uh, by UCLA. There's no question about that. The other team in town, uh, USC, which couldn't stop the run at Notre Dame, bounced back with a resounding win last week. But now they get the sensational Khalil Tate and Arizona. Can that banged-up defense stop him? No. They, I mean, you, you only hope to limit uh, the amount of touches that he gets with, uh, or at least the, the amount of uh, opportunities he has to break off long scoring runs because, you know, the, the way that attack works is I'm just, I'm just going to keep trying. You know, I, I'm just going to keep trying the, the A gap, the B gap. We're going to read the defensive tackle and, you know, you keep taking those shots and eventually uh, USC's defense. You know, a linebacker is going to over pursue, and there's 60 yards of open grass for uh, just an absolute track star of a quarterback in Khalil Tate. I, I, I see this game being going one of two ways. Uh, it's either very, very close, thrilling, high scoring, and Arizona wins, uh, or I could also see this being the kind of game where USC, after refocusing itself last week, goes in and imposes its will with the running game. You never let Khalil Tate get into a rhythm. You never let that Arizona offense get into a rhythm because you can almost play keep away. Uh, Arizona's defense is not great. And so for that, I'm kind of looking at Sam Darnold and I'm looking at Ronald Jones and I'm saying, all right, this is a chance right now for you to get back in the Pac-12 championship race or all of a sudden lose what what last little bit of hope you have uh, to put a trophy in the trophy case this season. Well, we've already seen those long-sustained drives by USC against Utah as we take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Not only can you catch his college football podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, but you can catch him all day today on CBSSports.com as part of SEC Live. Oregon-Washington, this one was 70-21 to last year. How much does that still sting the remaining Ducks who have struggled since Justin Herbert went down but still a respectable 5-4? and four? It stings, but I would not be surprised if we see a similar score. I don't think Washington's going to put up 70 this week, but I do think that this is a game where uh, Oregon's going to find itself just a little bit outclassed. This is a big stretch of the season for Washington. Um, it's, it, is a, it is go time in the Pac-12 North, and I think that as Stanford is getting Bryce Love back into the lineup uh, and as that Stanford-Washington game is here approaching just days away, I, I think that this is a game – that Chris Peterson and his staff know uh, there's, there's, there can't be any look ahead. This has got to be a good, strong performance that you build on going into the biggest games of the season. Cal got off to a good start, but as we enter the final month, the Bears need two wins to become bowl eligible. They have Oregon State today, followed by Stanford and UCLA. Can they get there? Yes, I think UCLA is going to be tough, but I think the UCLA – uh, that'll be the spot where they get in. Uh, Josh Rosen is playing. UCLA is obviously a very different team, but I think in general, uh, Cal's got a great opportunity. They'll, uh, you know, Oregon State showed up against Stanford in a big way, but I don't see them being able to uh, replicate uh, playing at least that close to the competition. I think Cal should be able to win this and then get bowl eligible against UCLA. Bryce Love expected back today. Was there any bigger indication of how much he means to the Stanford team than when he sat out with an injured ankle? Oh, no doubt. And, you know, this is, uh, this is a Stanford offense that is limited in what it can do without him. That, you know, Keller Christ has not been very good this season. Uh, I guess, you know, he must 
have done something to really make David Shaw believe in him, or KJ Costello must must have done something uh, to really make David Shaw not believe in him because. When it's Keller Christ without Bryce Love, uh, it is not an offense that can win the Pac-12 title. It was such a brilliant start for Washington State, but the Cougars have now dropped two of three, and they have a very tough final month with Stanford, Utah, which which snapped a four-game skid, and then Washington. Can they survive this stretch to finish strong, and how many of these final three will they win? I think that Washington State has revealed itself to be what it has been all year. Um the win against USC was fantastic, and they got off to the hot start, and getting a top-10 ranking is always good for the spotlight on the program. But I think that we looked at this Washington State team as an 8-4, and 9-3 and three team, and I think that's where they're going to finish the season. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can catch him today on CBSSports.com on SEC Live, and also check out his college football podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. It's only the first poll, and only five of the 12 previous teams that made it ultimately made the playoff. Do you think the SEC will be the only conference once again with two teams when the final one comes out? I think so, but I'm not positive. I'm, uh, I keep reminding myself, ever since the poll came out on Tuesday, I've continued to remind myself what you just described, which is how few uh, teams are able to start in the top four and stay in the top four. So could a, a Georgia lose and then work its way back in? I think that that probably seems almost, almost uh, as likely as Alabama and Georgia both stay not only in the top two, uh, but you know, in the top four throughout the rest of the season in the eyes of the selection committee. I'm, I, I believe that Alabama and Georgia are two of the five best teams in college football, regardless of what happens on the field. But, uh, you know, the reason we give out national championships is to consider how you perform on the field. So this is a really interesting spot because, you know, Alabama's used to this. Georgia's not. Georgia has not been in this position of being the front runner. And I, I think that how Georgia plays against South Carolina today will really reveal a lot about the mindset that Kirby Smart and his staff have instilled in Athens because they're at home. They've got a rival that they are much better than, you know, 24-point favorites. Um, you know, they've got that number one ranking beside their name. I'm sure it is a very jovial and confident atmosphere uh, between the hedges today. And I'm, I'm interested to see if they can take care of business. I think that will say a lot about the confidence that I could have or not have in the Bulldogs in riding this all the way out to getting a college football playoff berth. Did you agree with Georgia getting the nod over Alabama in the first poll? Yes. Uh, to this point, they just have more quality wins. So it was more resume than, than eye test or, or tradition or anything else? A hundred percent. Eye test tells you Alabama's number one. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. why they're number one in the polls uh, because the, the humans – who are the coaches and the humans who are Associated Press college football writers. Um, you know, the eye test says Alabama is the best team in the country, but the college football playoff selection committee uh, to try and, you know, preserve some of the integrity of the process and really stick to some of the charge that they've had. You know, they've, they've got it all written out. They have documents describing how they want to value teams and how they want to approach this process. Uh, I kid you not, Rich, one of the first sentences in the college football playoff literature is, Ranking college football teams is an art, not a science. And so with that in mind, I think the selection committee 
wants to make a statement. And the statement was, at this point, based on what's happened on the field, Georgia, of all the undefeated teams, has the best profile. And I agree. Alabama LSU, so a little motivation for the Crimson Tide today. And the Tigers have been a much much different and better team in the second half. How competitive can they keep this game tonight? It's, it's going to come down to uh, keeping Danny Etling up. Um, if, if all of a sudden Alabama starts getting to tee off on Etling with their pass rushers, it's going to be bad. You know, we've, we've talked about LSU's injury issues along the offensive line. Um, you know, they, Etling has got to be able to stay healthy for everything to run because I do think that Matt Canada's offense, and I do think that a healthy Darius Geis will be able to spring some plays against the Crimson Tide. You know, the, this isn't a 1975 style LSU downhill I form, uh, you know, rushing attack. This isn't Leonard Fournette trying to run into the teeth of future NFL stars and the, the Crimson Tide. No, there's some misdirection here. There, there's some trying, you know, put you in a bind and make you make the wrong decision to Matt Canada's offense. And in a big game, in a rivalry game, when Alabama's a heavy favorite, yes, I do see. Alabama making some of the wrong decisions in those in those reads and uh, when you have to all of a sudden you know I've, I've got to decide whether I'm going to go left or right and Darius Geis and Danny Etling are there waiting for you to make the decision so they can go the other way I think that the motions the jet sweeps I think they spring a couple big plays but if it's going to come down to competing in the third and fourth quarter then Danny Etling's got to be able to execute without having a clock in his head about when you know you're going to be catching uh, somebody coming hot off the corner to uh, to drive into the ground. You know, Alabama in recent years has really turned it on the last month. They're coming off a bye week. Do you see anything different? Did they work on anything different that you think they might unveil tonight? Maybe. I think the offense in general has uh, slowly opened up throughout the season. Um, you know, they, they, of course, love to start with getting Damian Harris going. You know, they run power. They get those guards out and blocking in the open field. But, you know, they, they do a better job of utilizing a lot of their weapons and, and bringing some diversity and some versatility to the offense. And so uh, for that, I think that we'll start to see some, some really well-drawn-up plays from Brian Dayball coming out of the bye week. But, uh, but this, is, this is still an Alabama team that, if it had its way, would run the ball with its you know, five-headed monster of running backs would just run it right down your throat and never risk throwing an interception and get out of there with a 20-point win. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can see him on CBSSports.com on SEC Live all day today. Also check out his 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. We talked last week on the air about the bizarre situation in Florida and off it as well, and about the unpredictability <laughs> of how quickly things could turn. Did you ever think that it would really just go south in a matter of 24 hours there? Eventually, I came around on it, but um, you know, the to to dig deeper, uh, all of a sudden, it's it's just open season on Jim McElwain, and I I, I feel for Jim McElwain now because uh, now that the decision has been made, it seems like everyone's coming out of the woodworks, not only at Florida but even at Colorado State, uh, with complaints uh, not on on field, but with complaints about uh, you know relationships with the administration. Uh, complaints about uh, the relationships with the fan base. And so I, I feel for Jim McElwain that he's sort of become the butt of all this. But I, I think that the second that the, the death threats 
And the second that some kind of opening was there for Florida to go ahead and start the process of looking for a new coach officially, I, I just think they jumped at it. And, you know, that was an unfortunate situation for Jim McElwain. But if he really was starting to consider uh, a change or looking for some kind of escape behind the scenes, then, you know, I, I guess that the, the part of me that wants to talk about college football and wants to be able uh, to look at these teams and, and feel like everyone's all these coaches are totally invested. You know, if, if he wasn't totally invested, then uh, then I guess it's good that Florida's already got a chance now to start contacting potential candidates. Or, you know, no one ever contacts uh, schools these days, as, as we all know, but at least start to feel out through third parties and back channels uh, where they might want to go. And with that said, the two names we keep hearing, Dan Mullen going back to Gainesville where he was an assistant and Scott Frost staying in state, do you think it'll be one of those two and which one or perhaps even somebody else? I think Scott Frost is great. Um, and and that's that's kind of the one that makes sense to me. Uh, whether I, It almost feels like Florida or Scott Frost, one of the two of them, would have to, uh, you know, almost mess this up or, or something would have to go sideways for it not to be uh, Scott Frost walking out of the American Athletic Conference championship game and then you know, a couple days later being introduced as the Florida Gators head coach. I would, you know, this again, there's a lot of time, and that's what has to make uh, either Scott Frost or Florida, and especially Florida fans who want Scott Frost, uh, that's got to make them nervous, just having to sit around and wait for almost a month before you know that Frost is going to even acknowledge or make any kind of move. So I, I believe that that is the fit based on what Scott Strickland wants to do with the future of the Florida Gators program. Uh, I believe that he's a great choice. And I think that you put him, think about the talent that is even going to be there in 2018. Tyree Cleveland, uh, Kadarius Toney. You'll have running back Malik Davis coming back from a knee injury, but, I mean, he was averaging about seven yards a carry on uh, on first down before he got hurt. Uh, the the skill talent's there for Scott Frost to be able to not only come in but generate some of that fun offense that I think Florida's really looking for. If it's Dan Mullen, uh, I would not be totally surprised, but I think that given what we've heard from Scott Strickland and his public comments, it, it sure seems like Scott Frost is the best fit for what they're looking for right now. Chipper, have fun today, and uh, we wish you the very best of luck with SEC Live on CBSSports.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it.